see we're on a mission from God. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, The Q. And today's guest is someone I've been friends with for a very long time here in Austin, Texas. I don't see her nearly as much as I'd like to. Uh, and now even less than that because of this stupid uh, coronavirus. But she is always present and in my heart and on my social media feeds. Welcome to Kathy Benavides. Hey, Kathy. Hello, my friend. Greetings and salutations. Oh, Kathy, you're such a delight. Oh, I'm so glad that someone besides my grandma thinks that. <laughs> like, <laughs> the list is short, my friend. The list is short. Your grandma has really great taste. You know that. She, she really does. Honestly, you should see her cardigan collection. <laughs> she has very good taste in things. All right. Well, um, have you listened to any episodes of the podcast? Of course. I listen, um, okay, I say that. I listen to the beginnings of everything, just like I read the beginnings of every book. And then at some point, I either fall asleep, get hungry, or am attacked by a cat. And so I, I haven't listened to like all the whole things, but I mean, obviously, I listen to Weenie because it's Weenie. Uh -huh. <laughs> and you For two sure. make me laugh like so much. Yes. Um, and I listen to Evan, and I actually have like a note somewhere in this house. There's like a sticky note that's like, finish Evan's podcast. Because because I, I really liked it and I mean I love Evan. Yeah. Oh yeah. So sure. you have all like the cool kids on your podcast. Of course I've been listening. Honestly, those are the first two podcasts I've ever listened to. And <gasps> I'm not. And I have cl had clients who had podcasts and are like, you should listen. And I'm like, I should, shouldn't I? I think I had a client that I was even on one of their podcasts and I oh, still man. never listened. I'm sorry, Brian Massey, if you hear this, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I never listened. <laughs> I know you did a great job. I would listen to the bits that I needed to, but I, yeah, I've never really listened to a podcast. So I don't think like this, this, this particular podcast in the format that it is, I don't think it's going to be for everybody, but the, the idea is it's really a mixed, mixed bag, right? So there's all kinds of people that I invite on and mm -hmm. I don't, I, what I kind of expect is that people will just listen to the ones that sound interesting to them because not everybody sounds interesting to everybody. Oh, that's, that's a very smart idea. If you want, I can try and please everybody. Like I can give marketing tips. I can tell sad please stories. don't. And I can also do karaoke, <laughs> whatever you want for your audience, girl. Oh, I, I want you to be 100% authentically Kathy. <laughs> oh, that's a, okay. You asked for it. But, All right. Yes. And swearing, right. swearing is allowed. Oh, fuck yeah. This yeah. is my new favorite podcast. <laughs> well, that's not saying anything, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's so true. All right. Well, as you know, or maybe mm -hmm. I know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I start out with icebreaker questions. Yes. I'm so ready. Are you? Of course. Okay. Here we go. Number okay. one, what is the last thing you watched on TV? Um. Okay. Well, let me ask for a qualifier for that. Is okay. it, could, do you mean like something from like a stream, like Netflix or Hulu or something that I streamed to my television and watched on it, but is actually from like an app slash platform. I'm going to say anything that you watched on the device television. Oh, okay. Television so device. it could be uh, streaming, the, it could be whatever. The boyfriend and I are very, very, very big fans of Twitch. Oh. So the last thing we watched uh, 
was last night we watched my favorite streamer who is a dude named wavy shout out to wavy and he was doing this instead of playing any actual video games he was just doing like just chatting uh-huh. and people were sending him like video links so we were just watching like dumb videos all night it was great okay i just today joined twitch oh you okay so i didn't even know what twitch was well i mean i knew what it was but i didn't really know what it was was until the boyfriend and i started dating uh-huh. and um I learned not only about like Twitch, but about like Twitch communities and communities of streamers. So he's really into like the community of streamers that do like um, speed runs and that do like Kaizo Mario hacks. So I've learned about all those things. And I've also learned I love this game Fall Guys. So we watch like the Fall Guys tournaments on Twitch and I'm a big nerd now. Like I have taken this new step into nerddom. That is wow. Just, wow. Yeah. But Which is great because I don't play a single video game in my right. real life. <laughs> That's what I was saying. That's why I kind of put it off for so long because I don't play video games really. But there's people on there that have these really cool streams where they do like arts and crafts or there's like uh, Twitch karaoke of just okay. channels of people singing. So it's like there's other stuff too. Yeah. And so, but I do, I watch people play a lot of video games um, that I certainly can't play and that I certainly have a lot of opinions on how they play. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I am open to any and all suggestions. I am now taking all suggestions for people to follow on Twitch. Should I follow you on Twitch? Well, not yet. Not yet. That's there is there will be a Twitch channel for Uh Kathy360 coming this year. Um, once we get through with our move of moving up to North Ear, North Austin. Uh Don't tell Weenie. Oh God, she's gonna hear it on here. Oh man. You know she hates it when we get farther away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once all that is done, yes, I do have a plan for my Twitch stream. So Yay. once it happens, then yes, I would love for you to watch. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to, I want to do streaming. And I, I think the thing that appeals to me about streaming is the same thing that appeals to me about like TikTok. So you and I came up from this whole um, world of content creation, which is building legacies, right? Yes. Like build, mm-hmm. building like content legacies and the newer the new thing, right? The new shit is mm-hmm. all disposable. Yes. Which is an, it's incredibly freeing because you don't have to worry about fucking up. Right? It like is. You can, you can just experiment and it'll be gone and nobody will really care because it takes a long time to build. It's really done relationally. It's not really about the content as much as the creator. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you said that because this is like, a shift that I'm trying to help my clients make to, to when I say to them, we need more visual content. Like let's do some more video and stuff that I'm not saying let's hire a production crew. Uh-huh. Let's spend three hours filming. Let's pay someone to sing a jingle at the beginning. Like that is like the old school original mentality of digital content creation is that it's a production. And now with, you know, I mean, when Snapchat came about and then even before TikTok was TikTok, when it was musically and with Vine, content all of a sudden became very spur of the moment and very spontaneous and to me so much more creative and that's like the type of content that people really enjoy consuming almost as much as they enjoy making agreed totally agreed and it like I said it's also really forgiving so that it I think it lowers the bar to entry right like you don't have to be a genius because I also started doing web video recently just to just to learn it and Mm -hmm. there is a lot that goes into making a decent produced video right yes and 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 it's a huge amount of time that not a lot of people have just like extra laying around time (laughs) 
I mean, that's when I do my laying around. I don't have like spare time. My spare time is for napping. (laughs) Word. So, um, but, but the thing about it is you get the best of both worlds here in that you, you get the visual content Mm -hmm. in these kinds of new platforms, but Mm -hmm. it's not, you don't have to commit to spending thousands of dollars on equipment and, you know, doing all this super high end editing and stuff. And look, there's always going to be a place for that in the world. But that's, again, that's traditional media, right? Mm-hmm. It's professional media. And what we're talking about is social media. Mm-hmm. And social media is for the masses. And so it has to be more accessible. And so I really Amen. Like, like this. And also, just because anyone can do it doesn't mean anyone's good at it. Oh, true. Very true. It, it does require a certain skill set. And what do you, as what do you someone think that is? What do you think that skill set is? I think that skill set is really what it comes from is in my opinion, is having one, having a strong sense of your personal brand, Uh having a strong sense of like what you want to be about and what you want to put out there. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be limited to one thing or one topic, but having that sense um, and also being willing to look stupid. I know that doesn't sound like a skill, but it is. It's a skill to be able to say, I'm going to put all of this content out here that feels really authentic to me. And I'm accepting the fact that at some point I'm going to look like an idiot and that's okay. Right. Um, and so I think there's just that the the real skill is the willingness to be open and learning how to adapt to what you make, who you are, and your brand to what people respond to, and and to like take those two sets of data and like merging them together. Yeah. Also, being charismatic doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's true it's throwing true. that out there yeah yeah uh okay. I'm so sorry I got you all off topic on the icebreaker no no I love like we're gonna we, we can talk more about that um oh, okay but that's really what the icebreakers are for oh right? like it's just about sort of um jumping in. ice yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay ready okay. for the second question I'm ready what's the last book that you read oh so my reading habits I am incredibly proud of my reading habits really um I know that lots of people use their reading time to like better themselves. I absolutely do not. I'm not interested in bettering myself. I'm interested in having fun. And as they, if, if you know me really well in personal, in my personal life, you know that my favorite author is Agatha Christie and my favorite all-time show is Murder, She Wrote. So my jam is like cozy mysteries, preferably set in England in like the 1950s where people ride bikes in small towns. Yes. So I just finished, so I just finished the first book in a new cozy mystery series and it's called Barry and Haste. But before that I had just read 17 books of detective inspector Hillary Green and her exciting times solving mysteries in a small town in England. Wow. That's how I, yeah. So if anyone needs help committing a murder, I am, (laughs) I am on it. I am on it. The first thing I, I'll tell you is don't do it in a small British town because everybody knows everybody's business. It's so true. Like how like small British villages are rife with murderers. I, who knew? <laughs> murderers and adulterers. Who isn't sleeping with whose wife or husband? It's, 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 it's so that's so yeah. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I, there's no reading of like, I don't, I don't read anything that will improve my mind, body or soul. I, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and push back on that and say that if it's making you, if it's opening up things inside of you that allow you to be more creative and, and 
and enjoy your life and inspires you to do other things I mean I, I don't mean murder but other things and it's <laughs> then it's good for you like, I, I there's a lot that we have to add that caveat and not murder <laughs> I no, I I am not one of these people like I I, I don't like snobbery when it comes to the arts or literature yeah I don't I my some I mean I think I've told you this before but my sister my older sister Michelle has the best rant about art really? and how if she can do it it's not art <laughs> because she's like I'm not artistic yeah she hates Mark Rothko with a passion oh, I no. hope she never I know like I mean I I think his stuff is pretty I, it's, I mean, I'm not a super art. I'm not a really into a lot of art, but I mean, I, you know, I think his stuff is nice, but my sister has a lot, <laughs> she has like a whole rant about it. Like if I can do it, it's not art because like, she's like the opposite of artistic. <laughs> it's, it's so great. Like she's, she has high standards for art. It makes her a wow. little snobby, but also wow. she recognizes her own limitations <laughs> on being any type of creator. Wow. Um, she's a weird one, but you know, we try to love her anyway. Fuck you, Mark Rothko. <laughs> that's her that's her um yeah you are you are not snobby at all and that's one of the many things I love about you yeah no look I appreciate high art but um and, and literature and music and all that but also I can barely do that I'm such a philistine like I am like to me like the like the height of like the art world like give me like the pop art from the 60s yeah yeah no I mean I think that's all legitimate I do I, I honestly do you know I, I'm sure you've talked to Eileen about this we have this conversation a lot because we talk we do art together sometimes mm -hmm. and we have art day where we go sometimes and just look at different we'll go to different museums or we'll go like look at outdoor art and uh she you know she went to school for art and it, it's so we talk a lot about what art actually is and what it yeah. is and and I think that just the uh, just asking that question and exploring that question is super important to your soul right absolutely but you know again i i'm just way too much of a populist like i really believe that everybody should if something's truly good if something's truly good and universal and and comes from a place of you know outside ourselves if we if we're tapping into this you know universal creative power or energy then it's got to be it it should be it must be accessible to everybody and no one has a right to you know put put labels on it and say this is shit or this isn't real art if it's if it comes from you if it comes from you in that way then Agreed. it's art it doesn't necessarily mean it's good art right but it's art yeah it's art yeah. and that you note to self we should discuss this later in the podcast uh under the lens of fashion yes okay so i got words about that i all right. right yeah oh yeah I've got I, I cannot wait to talk to you about that actually because <laughs> I have been well I'll talk to you about it later okay I, I've got a lot to ask you about okay so uh final icebreaker question since uh -huh. you clearly need your eyes broken oh yeah is uh what did you have for breakfast oh um what did I have for breakfast uh oh yeah um we just made biscuits like the little biscuits and the little container that you pop it open and it scares the biscuit crap out of you. Yeah. 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 So I'm I made some biscuits and then I put sausage and cheese on them. Nice. And then I drank approximately 36 ounces of coffee. <laughs> as a normal person does. 
is that your is that your normal intake? Um, well, my normal my normal intake is sixteen ounces because that's what size my sippy cups are because I only drink iced coffee. I don't oh. believe in anything. I don't like any hot drinks. So wow. yeah, so I even in winter time. Yeah, even in winter time, like I will have my. Mm-mm. Well, I'll just I'll just wait for it to get cold, but then it's just then it's just chocolate milk. <laughs> I know. I I it's just so many weird things that happen on a day-to-day basis when you're me. Um no, no, so I, I drink I drink my coffee and but so here's the great part. Like, but it's only noon and I've already been to the bathroom like four times because not only did I drink that much coffee, but I also drink like 48 ounces of water. Oh good. So I am no, the I'm, most I'm hydrated human being alive. I'm glad to hear that. Well you know Thank coffee you. is a diuretic so it's really important that you you drink at least twice as much water as as uh whatever caffeinated beverage you're having. It's true. You are, you are so right. However, it also means that I am in a constant state of on my way to, or on my way back from (laughs) the bathroom. (laughs) There are worse fates. It's true. It's true. It's the only place I have any um, peace and quiet from the cat. So I like, I like being in there. Yeah. Is that it? Um, Did we break the ice? Well, the ice is fucking broke. It's been I'm so broke. proud of us. We broke it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, what do you want to talk about first? We can uh, talk about all kinds of shit. Um, I am drunk with power right now. Yes. Yes. Why don't we? St- why don't we start with? Actually, can you do a a quick little sort of um, intro to Kathy? In that, I I'd love people to know a little bit about who you are where you came from, mm-hmm. who your family is, that oh. kind of thing. It doesn't have <laughs> well, to be that. And it doesn't have to be, you know, super in-depth, just sort of so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. Oh, well, I don't know if they wanted it, but they're going to get it. Um, so I, I was born here in Austin. No, I lied. I was born in San Antonio. <laughs> starting out so well. I was born right. in... <laughs> born in san antonio i think i think yes i was born in san antonio we moved here when i was two years old um so i always tell people like basically i was like potty trained here so i'm like native um (laughs) so i've lived my whole life in austin except for this brief period when i thought very stupidly that i wanted to go to college and that i wanted to live in dallas i don't want to do either of those things turns out (laughs) um so i actually grew up uh like um, and graduated high school and stuff, uh, out in Lakeway. So I grew up out by Lake Travis. Um, and I've lived in Austin my whole life and my parents were super, uh, excited. My senior year of college, when I got a full four-year scholarship to UT Dallas for being a smart Mexican. (laughs) And then my parents were extremely disappointed when I quit. (laughs) Uh uh And it was like a whole thing. They were very worried. Like, how are you ever going to provide for yourself and have a life you're kind of a shit show you went and got tattoos like there's a whole it was a whole thing oh my um and I definitely like felt that way too I was very aimless for about 10 years of like I worked in like operations and you know yeah I wasn't a great employee because I also um have all the mental illness all the good ones all the designer ones Uh um I have all of them so it doesn't make you a very reliable or good employee because especially at that time companies yeah. took that as like a sign of weakness and like oh well you're not doing your job and I'm like I'm sorry my brain is short-circuiting I don't know what you're expecting me to do I can barely put my socks on so I got into social media like around 2007 um I was tricked into it oh. by Eileen 
Oh. Um, who who is who is my friend before social media? I've known her since before. Oh. Yeah, we've known each other a long time. Dang. Yeah. And fun fact, Eileen has been 36 years old since I met her. She has not changed age. I know that I went to her 50th birthday. I don't care. She is still 36. When she dies, when she's like 98, I'm going to be at her funeral, like crying how she was so young. Like <laughs> I, she'll always be like 36 in my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she tricked me into going to this meeting of the Austin Social Media Club by telling me that there was going to be free pizza in it and this really cute guy. So oh. I'm easy. So I was like, okay. At which meeting we saw Lonnie speak. Lonnie Rosales, who's quite the mover and the shaker in the in the digital space here in Austin, which fun fact, we went to high school together. Oh. So we went to go hear her speak. I did not know any of this. This is, yep. I'm so glad you're on my podcast. <laughs> um, so we went to this social media club meeting free pizza was eaten cute guy was flirted with I still find him cute even though his politics are a little suspect sometimes oh. but he's still cute I'm easily swayed by cute um but at that meeting I made the mistake of introducing myself to David J Neff and saying hey if you ever need help with like registration or something let me know mm. and then somehow I ended up on the board so don't ever offer your services to David J Neff <laughs> that's what I learned um and that's how I fell into social media and was like I really like this. And I had already been writing my blog. I started as a fashion and personal style blogger. I believe in 2006 was when I was writing my blog on MySpace. That's right. Wow. I am MySpace years old. Um, and then. What was the blog? So originally it was just like blog posts that I would write on my MySpace profile. Okay. Then, then it became a Tumblr blog. Um, and was Austin Slaved Fashion, which was right. what a lot of people still refer to me as because right. that was my Twitter handle. People still call me Slaved Fashion to this day. It's very strange. <laughs> um, but, I've, but I've been that for a long time. So um, so that's how I fell in love with social media. I decided I wanted to do it for a living. Spent a long time building up a really wonderful network of humans in the social media space, mm -hmm. such as, well, I don't want to say he's a wonderful human, but David Neff. Um and my lady weenie and you yeah. and uh my dear friend Kate Buck and oh, yeah. she helped me get my first job in the social media space and then how when is I got Kate doing I haven't I haven't heard from her in ages oh she is she is just the coolest human she's she has so many talents and the thing I love most about Kate is how incredibly freely she gives of those talents mm -hmm. she is not I mean she is really at the top of her game if you talk to anyone in the social media world they've either taken one of her courses they're part of her community of social media managers like she is the OG yeah. be all end all and she is completely accessible like there is no if you want to just like send her an email or shoot her a DM to ask her a question she's always going to be there for you to answer nice and I just I have so much respect for her as a human as a, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and as just a really dear, lovely friend. She's a, she's a great human. Cool. Um, oh, no, she's going to hear this, and then she's going to cry, and then I'm going to laugh. Because <laughs> I'm not known for my appropriate emotional responses. So at the end of 2012, when I got laid off from my first big girl social media job, I decided to take the plunge and cash in all those I owe you a favor chips and start my own company doing social media 
which I did, which re- was rebranded as Kathy 360 two years ago, three years uh-huh. ago. And I expanded to now I do like all digital marketing yeah. for my clients. Um, just celebrated eight years in business. And this year, last year was just sort of like survive the crazy. Cause like not only was there uh-huh. a pandemic in the world, but there was a pandemic uh, in my household of bitches showing their true colors and husbands being dicks and cleaning out bank accounts and leaving, (laughs) which was a whole thing, which was a thing. And by the way, I never spoke on our divorce publicly because he did plenty of that to make Uh sure that everyone knew what a victim he was. And I would just like to set the record real straight, like, because, you know, so many people are going to want to hear me talk about this. But um, the last six months of my marriage, I was a shit wife and I totally own that. I was a shitty wife. I was emotionally checked out of that marriage and I did a lot of crappy stuff and I own that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't do was I didn't go and put all my feelings out on the internet and I didn't call anybody like my ex's therapist and say that he was going to do my therapist for not addressing the problem of what a terrible person I am. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I didn't tell my ex that I was going to kill myself and it was all his fault. You know, it was, it was really ugly. He, he made the whole thing really ugly. Yeah. And I tried really hard to like be a good person. And I just got tired of being a good person because so many people think I'm a bad person. Like I lost so many friends and uh. I got reamed out over text by people like, Oh, well you did this and you did this. And I'm like, you don't know my life. Right. You don't, you don't know what he did. And also it's none of your business. You weren't married to us. And if you yeah. were, that's real awkward. Yeah. We should not have had another spouse. So, so last year, and then I had like a bunch of health issues. So last year was just like a shit show. Yeah. In 2021, I'm just like, I want to get back into like creating the content I like and doing awesome work with my clients. I have amazing clients right now and I want to hug them all, but you can't because right. you want to keep them safe. The germs. So that's, oh, and I have a family. I do. I have a mom. She's lovely. And I have grandparents that are also lovely. And I have five sisters, which is way too many, but all of them are past their expiration date and I can't return them. Um, I have no dads because they keep dying. And I try to like that. If, look, if you have a person named Raymond in your life, just know they die when they're 64. Expiration oh date is very much set on them. So be careful. If you have a Raymond, put them in a bubble. That's- okay. I think if I- <laughs> okay. Uh, noted. Um, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. I went to some event at mm-hmm. the uh, Mexicart Museum with your family. Oh, yeah. With me, Familia. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I didn't realize, you know, because I only knew you from our circle, right. how much history your family has in this area. And it was, it was a really cool, it was a really cool experience. Like you had, they had all these like really old photos of, you know, Austin yeah. and, you know, like before it had been all developed and um, mm-hmm. I heard- So that exhibit um, yeah. at the Mex Arte Museum was focused on the founding families of the East Side. Oh, and yeah. it was a group of families that not only like lived there, raised generations of their family there, but were entrepreneurs and had businesses there. So my grandfather's family um, has been here like forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my grandparents met here in Austin. Like they, my grandparents, like I, like my family's been in this area of Texas since like before it was Texas. Like mm-hmm. this is just, we're like the OGs. So 
my grandfather's family lived on the east side. His father uh, was a very well-known stonemason. There are multiple locations in Austin that I can take you to to show you like the work that he did. Um, probably the most easiest to describe is if you've ever been on um, Red River going towards 6th Street and you know like where Polones is, like there's a giant hotel next to it now, but there's this little yeah. restaurant called Polones. All of that outside stonework, it used to be a house and that is by my great grandfather. Wow. So, so right. yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So they've, you know, and the houses that he, that they lived in, him and his sister, they had houses next door to each other on East 3rd that at that time, you know, those houses were built, were wood. They were made out of wood. So he redid all the outside stonework on these two houses on mm -hmm. East 3rd. So unfortunately, the one that belonged to his sister, um, that was redone you know, gentrification. Right. Um, but the last I saw the, the house that he lived in uh, and the house that my grandfather grew up in, the people who own it now have worked to preserve the stone masonry. So that's really nice. Um, but yeah, so, so that's my grandpa's family was on the east side. And that uh, was- Kathy, Kathy, Kathy hmm? what are you doing? What do you mean? Like, are you opening something? Oh no, sorry. I was playing with the cord on my I won't touch it. I won't touch it again. I'll go back to just sitting on the hand. Like you were opening a candy bar. No. Wait, is there candy in my house? Well, that's, I mean, that's what I was thinking. I was like, wow, okay, sorry. I, that sounds really good right now. You're like, what, You're like, what the hell? Um, no, so, so that was my grandpa's family. And um, the east side um, was, was like the good side of town. Like that's where like the families that were prosperous lived. Mm -hmm. My grandma was from the bad side of town, Ooh. which was where the farmland was, which is what is now Terrytown. <laughs> crazy right yeah um so my grandmother grew up uh on farmland where cassis elementary is now uh -huh. and the family that owned that land and that her father worked for was the bowman family which one of the streets over in terrytown is named after them uh -huh. and my grandma fun fact about my grandma my grandma had polio when she was little and the Fun doctor fact. who treated her uh -huh. uh, was Dr. Zachary Scott, the elder oh. Zach Scott of the actor who the uh, theater is named after. Dang. Yeah. So like my family is like pretty hardcore Austinites. Like we're, we're very like settled yeah. here. We're very yeah. from here. Our roots are very deep here. I remember uh, somebody, I can't remember which one of your family members it was, but they said that they remembered being little and at that time the circus would come to town and they would come up first street mm -hmm. right? i think so they remember their you know parents waking them up early mm -hmm. and, or you know in the night so that they could watch this parade go up first street of all of the as they were moving the circus in with all yeah. the animals and everything yeah yeah that was probably one of my um one of my mom's cousins uh -huh. cuz like all like when my when my grandpa joined the military, he ended up stationed in San Antonio. So they raised their family in San Antonio, uh -huh. my grandparents. So, but all of their family, like their brothers and sisters and stuff, were all still here in Austin. Huh. So, um, so yeah, that was probably some of my mom's cousins um, that have that memory. But yeah, they, we, like we've, we've been here a really long time. Our family is very, like, very, very deeply ingrained in Austin. And it can be really frustrating and kind of downright hurtful sometimes how much of the history of the people of color in Austin are, is erased. Right. You know, especially when it comes to the East Side, um, where there is so much Black history, where there is 
so much Mexican history, like to rich developers coming in, it just looks like trashy area that needs to be cleaned up, mm-hmm. not things to be preserved and remembered, which is a little hurtful, to be honest. Uh-huh. You know, we, <laughs> we created a really vibrant and beautiful culture in Austin that does get whitewashed pretty frequently. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like really... Austin is doing enough or has done enough or is trying to at least preserve some of that. Or do you think at this point it's just all a free for all? I think that Austin has taken a really important first step, which is acknowledging that there's a problem. Mm. And I know that doesn't seem like much, but it, I mean, it's like if you go to any 12 step meeting, the first step is to admit that you have a problem. Right. Because it's really hard to like be like, yeah. I, I fucked up. So, I mean, I'm super grateful that there is that first step of Austin saying, okay, we don't know what to do about it yet. We're not sure how to fix it, but we realize there's definitely an issue here. <laughs> this, is, this is a problem. And I'm really grateful that Austin has worked to funnel more resources to projects like the uh, exhibit um, about the founding families here on the east side you know, they put a lot of resources in that. They put resources into mock. And so at least they're trying to start moving in the right direction. So I appreciate that a lot. And I try really hard not to get bogged down in like the what, what is bad versus how to make it better. You know, I don't, I don't want to just sit around and be like, Austin, so messed up, Austin's fucked up. Because at the end of the day, agree, like, yeah, there's things that are wrong, but this is still my home and this is my family's home. And, you know, I'm not going to talk shit about it too much. <laughs> so, um, so I think, I think they acknowledge that there's an issue and that they want to move in the right direction. I just Good. hope they continue to put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. All right. We're yeah. watching you, Austin. Yeah. Austin City Council. We're watching you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about fashion a little bit okay. because you, uh, you devote, you have devoted over the years a whole lot of time to this mm-hmm. topic. And one of the things that uh, I think people should know is that you have decided to pursue not just fashion, but a particularly challenging sector of fashion, which is plus size fashion. Oh, yeah. uh, Which, you know, you almost have to fight. Well, you do have to fight to be recognized as both legitimate and to be on equal footing as all the other types of fashion. And it goes back Mm -hmm. to what we were talking about earlier about who gets to decide what's legitimate and who gets to decide what's aesthetically beautiful and, and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe just kick Mm -hmm. it off uh, by talking about why, why fashion and what, excuse me, what was your uh, journey to developing a whole brand or a whole persona around around fashion when it's not even your job like this is something no it's not my job you're passionate about it (laughs) yeah um so fun fact about the starting of my blogging when I first started writing a blog on MySpace it was because I was talking to my mom about these items of clothing that I had purchased I can't remember what they were now but she was like I don't really want to listen to you talk about your clothes and I was like well, you're my mother and you have to because you love me and you don't have a choice. Uh-huh. And she's like, why don't you tell the internet? Maybe the internet cares. <laughs> and I know she thought at the time that she was making like a really funny little joke, but little does she understand that she just set me on this course of getting on the internet and talking about my clothes. And when I originally started talking about it, it's because I felt like there weren't enough regular people 
talking about the fashion industry and what was happening in the fashion industry because it was a big deal and it doesn't seem like it would be be a big deal and most people would say that fashion isn't really like a serious or important industry but you know when we leave our house which doesn't happen as much to say these days but when we leave our house whether we admit it consciously or whether it's subconscious the things that we put on our body they show who we are even if we don't talk to anyone those are those things those outside adornments are what other people use to determine who we are and what kind of person we are and I realized really early on that there was a very, very strong correlation between what I put on my body, how I felt about myself based on what I put on my body and how other people responded to me Hmm. based on what I had on my body. So I, I started being a little bit more conscious of like what I wore or how I wore it just almost in like a, in a data collecting sort of way. It was like kind of a big experiment. Like, okay, well, if I wear this kind of skirt, you know, what happens if I wear shoes like this, what happened? You know, it, uh, it taught me a lot about how people respond to me as a human based on what I wear, but also how people respond to me based on what I wear as a plus size person, because yeah. there are a lot of very interesting unspoken rules about being plus size and being a woman and how you present yourself in the world. And the overall theme of how women should, should present themselves in the world, no matter what size they are, it's about taking up less space. We should want to be small and meek and oh, not cause any waves or anything. So if you have the audacity to stand out, that's bad enough. But if you have the audacity to stand out as a plus size woman, holy Jesus, people right. cannot take it. Like right. they get the vapors, they need their smelling salts. It's just, it's a whole thing. There's something about a fat woman in a pair of jeans and a crop top that will literally cause people to foam at the mouth. Right. <laughs> like they cannot take it. So over time, I kind of evolved my writing and my work and my content to be less about the fashion industry because I feel like they were doing me a grave disservice. So why should I be giving them my time mm-hmm. and being more about personal style, which has been really fun. But because like to put it in like the rudest terms possible, the fashion industry can suck my dick. Like I'm so over straight size, skinny, cis, white people trying to tell, trying to be the authority on what everyone should be wearing. It's just, I'm sorry. How have we not put Anna Winter out to pasture? Like, fuck that woman. Right. Fuck her. Fuck her and her continuous releasing of statements saying, oh, we recognize that there's definitely a problem with diversity and inclusivity. And I take full responsibility dot, 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 but I'm not going to fucking change because you bitches can't make me. Mm -hmm. So I was so disgusted the other day because I saw a post from Edward Enifel, who is what, like the CFO or something of like Vogue in England. And he, it was him and this really awesome designer. And he's like, we are pushing the envelope with this new shoot and blah, blah, blah. And he was so influenced by this. And this is like an, an Asian man um, from I don't like Kim Jones, I think his name is, and then Edward Enifel, like the first black man to like be in charge of this huge fashion house. And I shit you not, it's a naked Kate Moss frolicking in the gardens at a big manor house in England. And I'm like, what? really? I'm like, really? You what? you think that you think we care? You think anyone wants to see a skinny white woman doing the same bullshit we've seen for the last hundred years? You these are like. These are the people who are supposed to be changing the fashion industry. And, and they're giving me the same bullshit 
from with the same models pushing the same shitty pro skinny agenda and they're telling me that it's fashion no it's not no it isn't that's you selling ad space that's what that is <laughs> you yeah. sell an ad space and i respect that i respect that you have a business to run and there are a lot of mouths to feed in the vogue world i get it but don't try and tell me that that's fashion because i've seen kate moss sitting in a field of daisies without any clothes on and a straw bowler hat and knee-high socks so many goddamn times since 1992. I'm so over it. Like, I'm so over it. <laughs> so, so like, I, I, so here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like establishment fashion mm-hmm. has always been about elitism right like oh, like yeah. like it's not it's not meant to i mean and and this is it's almost like people have a love hate relationship with it like i hear that people I, I mean it's somebody like me picks up an a, a copy of vogue and i'm like these people have absolutely no real relation to my day to day life but you, exactly. you buy into this sort of fantasy or you buy into this sort of um aesthetic uh you know idea I'm not going to call mm-hmm. it an ideal, but an idea that there are people out there who have this lifestyle and it's, even if it's not aspirational, it's a part of, you know, what it means to be in society, high society, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if we, um, like, for, for and and this is a kind of a reoccurring theme in all of the stuff that I think about. I really feel like the solution is let that shit go. Like go mm. make something better somewhere yeah. else. Because I don't want to reform that. And there's as long as there's a market for that, and there is a market for that, and people want that, whether they are willing to admit it publicly or not, there's a reason why it keeps they keep turning that shit out. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh yeah. And but I think that there are there is a completely different market, and I think that it's a much larger market, and I think that it's a um, a populist market, and I feel like fuck Vogue and Anna Wintour. If you, I mean, they can agree. do what they want to do, and instead, let's let's give people what they want over here, and eventually, or not. I mean, maybe maybe it will always be this way, but eventually, I think you'll have enough momentum on this other side, where you know you've got an ind- you've got industry built up around what the average person wants and needs when it comes to fashion. That mm-hmm. that'll be fine. Well, uh, first of all, yes, one thousand percent, yes. Like you are absolutely spot on. Like trying to trying to fix an industry that is so inherently broken like what's the point why are we right. we put our energy into that what like stop trying to stop trying to renovate this haunted condemned victorian mansion of fashion and go build a nice cottage somewhere else like yeah. stop trying to fix it and you know you and i mentioned earlier talking about accessibility and and popular items you know popular things in the world i firmly believe that if something is not accessible to the masses and then it's not worthy of my time or interest at all if you can't make something accessible to poor people then you're not innovative and you're stupid and you suck Mm -hmm. i see that in fashion like cool i'm so glad that you know there are high fashion lines that charge a ton of money that's great but i don't consider you innovative 
no matter how great your designs are, because you haven't found a way to make things accessible to the masses. I feel the, that like, that is like, honestly, that is the baseline problem, my issue with Elon Musk. He thinks he's an innovator. I'm sorry, until you make a Tesla that's available for $10,000 and under, that is accessible to the masses, you you aren't an innovator. Right. You're also a piece of shit. Um, but there's, that's like another story for another day. Yeah, um, yeah. But don't, like, if you're so out of touch with the reality of the population of this entire planet that you think that a $35,000 car is accessible to everyone, please take several seats, white man. Like, you have no idea what's going on. But and it's the same way in the fashion industry. Don't, like, I see, I, I have, I think there's a point of difference there in that. So when computers first came out, nobody could afford them in their home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. So the people that made computers, they only sold them to, you know, research universities and the government and things like that. Yeah. But the difference is what they did with that earn with the, with the money that they made is then they continued to refine the technology and make it more accessible. So exactly. I think technology is a thing that when when it's new, you have to almost like because there's just not enough money. And you have to build interest in a market to actually get enough people to buy into it mm -hmm. that it's not always easy. But fashion is a completely different thing, right? Like, like there's no well, yes value no. to fashion. Yes no, because if you think, I mean, if you go back to like the origins of fashion and, you know, the things that were popular, the idea of wearing a fabric like silk that has to be sourced from another country mm -hmm. is completely inaccessible. And yet, that's what the monarchs wore. That's what the rich people wore. And that's what people aspired to. And so over the centuries and over the time, we have made it more accessible for everyone to be able to wear silk if they want. That's so true. That's there's, true. there's, we, and, and, you know, we've had a lot more time with fashion and, but like in technology, you're, you're so right. Like, yeah, when computers first came out, that was, it was prohibitively expensive for an individual to own a computer at home, but they, invested time and research and energy and now like schools hand out Chromebooks to kids like right. I mean there's a there's a huge amount of accessibility and I'm sorry Elon Musk uh but like battery tech has been around for a while like electric cars been around for a while also you can't seem to turn a fucking profit which is why you still rely on investors to give you money like gross grow up learn what business is Ugh. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but back to fashion. Um, no, no, but I want to, I want to just, so there's a, I also think that we have to make this difference, differentiation between fashion and fashion as an industry or brands, uh, fashion brands, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the purpose of a brand is not, and, and fashion people will tell you this, they don't want to be popular right? They, they don't want to be populist. You, you know, you, paying- Well, they're saying that out of one side of their $10, mouth. $10,000 for a handbag is, you know, there's no way on earth that the materials <laughs> and labor that oh, went yeah. into making that bag You're is worth You're absolutely paying for the, for the label on that. Right, right. So the, the thing is, it's not a, like, I feel like in some ways fashion is specifically, or, or the fashion industry as we see it is is not interested in and they have specifically said they're not interested in and they've made it a point over and over again that they are not interested in being available to everyone 
they right. are available to everyone as an idea, as mm -hmm. an aspiration, right. but mm -hmm. they don't want everyone to own their products. I mean, you remember back in the 90s when Tommy Hilfiger was like all miffed because black and Arab kids were wearing his shit. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want that, If he knew that that black kids and, and brown kids were going to be wearing his clothes, he never would have created his line in the first right. place. Right. No, I, I remember that. And let me tell you, it has a real impact when you're a little Mexican girl that kind of dresses like a, a cholo, not chola, a cholo, because you're so tired of having your body objectified by people. Yeah. Like that's a real hurtful thing to hear a designer say, but okay. So have you ever gotten in an argument with somebody and then they say they're fine, but everything about their actions say they're not fine. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's the fashion industry because out of one side in their mouth, they're saying we're not for everybody. We're elite, you know, we're like the cream of the crop. We're, you know, prohibitively expensive and out of your reach. But also our logos are huge and we sponsor so many events so that you know who we are and we'll try and buy our stuff. Like, do you want to, like, they want the masses to know who they are. They want the masses to waste their money on their shit while staying out of their mouth that they're elite. They're not. Louis Vuitton is not a elite brand. They charge a lot of money for their shit, but they're not elite. Mm -hmm. How do I know that? They have a fucking storefront in the domain, please. Yeah. And I can walk in any time. These brands that that say they're ultra luxury and say that they want to be elite, they don't at all. They want you to buy their shit because a lot of them are in a lot of financial difficulties, <laughs> but they, it, they don't. They can say that all they want, but everything about the way that they present their products says, please buy me. We're desperate for everyone to like us and, and want to own us. They don't want us to aspire to them. They want us to make really poor decisions and buy their shit. <laughs> so how do we, how, do, what's the, what's your sort of um, prescription for getting some of that attention for people that are truly, I, I don't mean people that want to just, there are people that pursue fashion as just a status symbol, right? Yeah. And it doesn't and there's matter. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, Everybody has a thing. Everybody but there are people thing. that are passionate about fashion as an art and as a way of self-expression. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that ultimately have always driven fashion um, innovation and what makes fashion creative and, and, mm -hmm. and all of that. How well, I do think... we support them and get and kind of infuse that pool with more diversity and mm -hmm. you know get them well, the, the attention they need? The, well, that's kind of the key right there is attention. You know, there are people out there that are doing amazing things. And I, I personally, it's a little different for me because I'm not the average human. I actively spend a lot of time looking for creators and brands and designers and influencers and personal stylists and stuff that really speak to a broader audience. Mm -hmm. um, and usually those, those people have an audience. They have, I mean, it's not like, it's not a Tommy Hilfiger sized audience, but they have a good audience. And I think the real, the real turning point will be when someone, some entity in mainstream media turns their attention away from the big names and is willing to take a chance on the small names. Mm. That's, that's kind of what it comes. And it, that's the same with mainstream media and with the general population. You know, I had to, I've had a few come to Jesus talks with myself <laughs> as you know, one does. Yeah. Um, I've had a few come to Jesus talks with myself about like, 
why do I give money to brands that pay lip service to the plus size community? You know, like why I love Nordstrom, but I am so tired of their shitty, shitty policies about plus sizing and what the place of plus sizes are in their stores. Their, their complaint is that they can't make room in their stores for a plus substantial plus size department because people don't spend any money in those departments. But if you never put a substantial plus size department, how will you ever get the data to see who actually shops there? So I cannot in good conscience keep spending my money at Nordstrom because they treat me like dudes in my early 20s that were totally fine to hook up with me, but wouldn't take me on a date. Yeah. And I'm not having that with my, so I have to make my feelings known by putting my resources, my money, my time, my energy towards creators and brands that don't pay me lip service that actually give a shit. Who's doing it right. Who's doing it right. Okay. So this is going to, this is going to blow your mind a little bit and people are probably going to yell, but old Navy. Really? Old Navy has finally started putting plus sizes in their stores. They've started stocking more of their larger sizes because they sell more. Um, with the exception of ModCloth, I would say they are the brand that carries the almost has has the same almost the same ratio of straight to plus sizes. Oh. When it comes to items, yeah. Do they have brick and mortar stores? Yeah, they now have plus sizes in. I'm not gonna lie, I don't love how slow the rollout has been, but I also recognize that they started that rollout of rolling out plus sizes into their stores, like in the third quarter of 2019. Hmm. So there was a huge stop once the pandemic hit. And I get that. I get like they got kind of hampered, but they did start that rollout. I think there's four stores in Austin now that carry plus sizes in store. Um, You can also uh, bring plus sizes back to the store. There are a lot of brands like if mate on mate at Macy's, if you buy something online, it doesn't fit. You can't take it back to the store. You still have to go mail it back. Yeah. So things like things like that, they put more money, more effort into serving their plus size community and not just plus sizes, but the larger end of straight size, which is the largest population of women. The average size that a woman wears is 14 to 16. Right. So they have started putting more resources to having more of those sizes in store. And I, I respect that. I, I know they're not like sustainable fashion and ethical fashion and all that stuff. But for the average everyday person who doesn't have a huge fashion budget, to be able to go to an Old Navy store, find things in their size in multiple styles and try it on, that's a huge, huge win. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, so I am obsessed with drag culture right now. <laughs> And the reason why it's very similar to what you're talking about, and it's something that I hadn't thought a whole lot about until really recently, as I started doing all this, you know, kind of soul searching about identity and Mm. and self and self-expression. And, you know, I guess when I first just, I mean, I always liked drag and drag queens. I always thought they were fabulous and, you know, whatever, but I never really understood why. And then I started watching Drag Race and... And I, I read a uh, book by RuPaul and it, it occurred to me, it occurred to me that drag is completely underestimated. It is completely underrated as a challenge to the status quo. 
It is an absolute art form of self-expression, right? It's taking this interior feeling, right? Because most most drag queens, they are perfectly happy being men. They don't want to be women. Right. And yet they're using this, this kind of art form as a way to express certain qualities that either are not acceptable or were never encouraged or were outright discouraged and actually doing it in such a punk way, right? <laughs> like it's, it's right? really yeah. punk to like be like, fuck you. I can totally have these qualities and I can totally, you know, maybe I was a skinny little gay kid that got picked on all the time. And now I'm a goddamn supermodel The yes. you know, what, what is considered mm-hmm. the highest, you know, paragon of beauty and power for women right mm-hmm. and uh i fucking love this I, I this has got like my creative juices flowing i'm totally working on my own drag character which is not a typical drag character but something that is also rooted very deeply in my challenges and my frustrations and my um aspirations for myself uh, and for my gender and my um appearance and all of the things that I was told I should be or shouldn't be mm-hmm. and um and one of the things RuPaul talks about in his book uh is how he goes it, he likes all clothing men's clothing women's clothing as long as it's really well made right and really beautiful. Right. Yeah. and he has this whole theory that you just you every day you you work it you own it you step out into the world we're all doing drag anyway like you're Mm -hmm. lying to yourself if you think you're not doing drag right yeah Yeah. just as a a regular person because all of those are choices that you've made and that are out there representing something to the world Mm -hmm. and so he said you have that's where you have control over how you present yourself to the world and the I guess what is so amazing to me is how thoughtful it is right people like you said earlier people often write fashion off and a lot of like popular culture or uh, popular art as just sort of, uh, I guess, entertainment or, or not really having any depth, but mm-hmm. the amount of thought and energy and, and philosophy, <laughs> yeah. right? And spirituality that goes into creating these kinds of things is completely underestimated. And I'm going to tell you, I'm fucking here for it. I am, I'm like, I, I am so sick of fucking listening to these self-important, highly trained writers and speakers and, you know, academics and leaders who think that they have, like, they're God's gift to humanity when they're, and and they're just annoying as fuck, right? Yeah, yeah. And and on the other end, you have these people that are just, like, living art. They are literally challenging the very things that all these other people are just sitting around talking about and and doing it in a way that is 100% vivid and human and fully embodying you know what they believe and and what they want to see in the world and so I I want to talk to you about what that means when you are talking about day-to-day presentation or day-to-day fashion because I think America is in we're kind of in a slump like we're we're the, we're we're at a point now where people are fucking wearing their PJs on an airplane, right? Well, yeah, we've <laughs> we, we've, we've literally been at home in our sweatpants for a year. Yeah, like that. Like no, even before then, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like no, we've been, been on a downward. We've yeah, been on a yeah. downward slope. As yeah, I say, yeah. as I used to say when I work in an office, and I still say when I'm out and about in the world, America is casually is terminally casual. Yeah. Like we don't put nearly 
the emphasis into our presentation as we that we should. What does and, that say and about I, us? What does I, that say about us? I, well, I think it's hard for me to speak for like the whole country because I mean, I never leave Austin. Where am I going? Um, nowhere. So, I mean, I'm around here a lot, but what I've learned is that thanks to dumbass.com billionaires and the like, they thought that in order for them to, you know, buck the trends of like regular CEOs and stuff that they had to act and dress like, like high schoolers. That was their form of rebellion. And I get that. I get that there's something very powerful about walking into a board meeting, knowing that all of those people there in those expensive suits have to answer to you because it's your company and you can just be wearing a hoodie. Mm -hmm. Like I get, I get the rebelliousness of that. And that's, that's fine. Like if that's your thing, but there's also a certain level of inherent respect for yourself for who you are as a human being that you project with what you wear. And when you present yourself to everyone saying, I'm not better than a t-shirt and a hoodie, why should I ever think you're better than a t-shirt and a hoodie? And what's sad is why do you think that you're not better than a t-shirt and a hoodie? Mm-hmm. Like there is power in what we put on our bodies. And, and I'm not saying that you have to put things on your bodies that are like, like, quote unquote, high fashion or expensive, or certainly not even uncomfortable if you don't want to be, you know, but there's something to be said, or there's something to be said for the fact that you're squandering the opportunity to present who you are at your core to everyone in the world, you know, like yeah. you have, you have such an opportunity to put that on on your body. Yeah, and, okay. and I, I, I think in a lot of ways we see the things that we see and I noticed this a lot when I worked in offices, which killed my soul, but I would see a lot of women, especially mainly because I don't pay a ton of attention to men's fashion, but, um, I should, but, uh, I noticed that with a lot of women, their clothing choices really mirrored the feelings that they were obviously carrying around. And those, yep. uh, and those were the feelings of insecurity, yep. feelings of, um, being trapped, Yep. you know, stuck in the day-to-day, uh, feelings of unworthiness. And you see that reflected in the amount of women that were wearing, you know, boot cut work pants with a blouse with a stripey pattern and mm-hmm. flat. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those items of clothing, but if you think that that's all you're worth, you're not like that's, that breaks my heart. When I see people whose fashion and whose clothing choices say to me, I am unhappy that makes me sad for them because you may think that you're not saying that with your clothes, but you are. Yeah. And you're saying that there are things about yourself that you don't feel like celebrating. Yeah. There are things, you know, in your life that make you feel unimportant or unnoticed. And there is no one on the planet who doesn't deserve to be noticed and praised and loved. And if yeah. you aren't celebrating you, how am I going to celebrate you? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's beautiful. I think you're spot on about drag culture because it is so it is so outside the box. It is so exaggerated. It is so artistic and it's very uncompromising in those things. It's like, I'm going to be big. I'm going to take up space. I'm going to celebrate these amazing things that I love about myself and no one's going to stop me. Good. I don't, I don't ever want, you know, someone to feel that way. I personally am not a huge fan of a lot of mainstream drag culture because I find 
because I have a lot of my own issues with the uh, cis gay male population uh-huh. and the toxicity in that population and the amount of abuse that I've endured at the hands of that population. Uh-huh. Because fun fact, toxic masculinity is not limited to straight men. Um, who knew? So, who knew? Um, so, you know, there, so I, there is, there's a component there that, that makes me nervous that I, I tend to keep my distance from. Yep. However, there are so many drag troops and burlesque troops in Austin that are so incredibly creative and counterculture with these amazing creations, these amazing humans putting out this insane art on their bodies every day. Like my friend Kitty Buick is probably one of the best drag performers I have ever seen. And that I know her characters are amazing. She can literally create anything. She, no one has worked a sewing machine harder than that woman, I tell you. Like she is just so incredibly talented. Or uh, my friend Jinxie, who is a, a performer, I think also has like a troupe. Um, and they're like, uh, they identify as a two-spirit. They're Native American. And the characters and the performances that they've created to celebrate all of the different aspects of who they are, are mind blowing. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I, I'm, ex- I'm like super excited to hear you say that you're into this because I think a lot of people assume it's like, oh, well, I'm just like a, I'm a middle-aged soccer mom. What am I going to do? Oh my God. You, you are a soccer mom. I forgot. <laughs> no, it's true. You it's are true. a literal soccer mom. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely true. But I think there's this idea that like, if you don't check off these boxes of being cool enough or different enough that you can't participate in these in these counterculture um communities or in these expressions of art and humanity because you live in the suburbs like that's the dumbest thing ever like there's nothing that says that any of us can't be who we truly are and celebrate the things about ourselves that we love yeah you know like I wish more people would wear neon eyeliner I don't care if you're the front desk receptionist at a real estate office. There's, if you love neon colors and they make you happy, you, there's no reason for you to not wear something that you love. Yeah. Like there's just like, we have so little time on this planet. Let me tell you, I have two dead dead. <laughs> we have so little time here. And like, there is just no point in wasting a single part of it thinking that you're not good enough or you're not special enough. Cause you are, there's only one of you, unless someone has cloned you. Which well, I mean, Elon's working on it for me. He is, um, but he is. So I mean, I would double check that. But unless someone has cloned you, you're the only you on this planet. So like, live it up. Yeah. Live yeah. it up. You are your own celebrity in your own little world. Yeah. And if there's yeah. one thing that I have learned from my, uh, the the people who inspire me the most when it comes to media and branding, aka the Kardashian family, shout out to matriarchal societies. It is that. You can be a normal, average, everyday person and make yourself into something incredibly special just because you believe in you. Yes. There's nothing special about the Kardashians. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like they, you know, they love each other and that's nice and stuff, but they have, they, people hate them because they had the audacity to say, I deserve better and I'm special and I'm going to make it happen. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that's how I felt when I like, I've been watching all these, um, these drag queens who you know, God, we, and as a, as a, as a woman, right, raised in this society, I have had 
40 fucking six years of feeling like shit because I wasn't beautiful enough or thin enough or all of these things. And I see these drag queens who are fucking dudes with dicks, right? <laughs> and beards who are like, I am beautiful. And I'm like, mm-hmm. holy shit, I want some of that. I want yeah. some of that. I want, and, and they make it happen. And it just goes to show that that they're making choices that um, that I'm, I could easily make too, right? I could, could go out there and, and do whatever I need to do to express myself in the way that I feel my best, that I feel like I'm really, my, my interior, sometimes, Kathy, my interior is so big and so beautiful and so powerful. And I wish I could show it to the world, right? And then I go look in the mirror and I'm this middle-aged, you know, slightly overweight white woman without a whole lot to give and I'm like fuck it I want my outside to to show what is going yeah. on inside and I I see that in drag culture and and I'm here for like 100% here for it and I and and I don't just mean this you know I mean I, that's what kind of has sparked this but it goes along with the the decisions that I've decided you know the things that I've decided mm-hmm. about how I want to present just as me like yeah as well because it's all shades of drag, right? Like we're all Mm -hmm. like, when I go outside to the store, the choices that I make are also choices about how I want to be in the world. And so I I guess it's just, it, it sounds very simple, but it's actually incredibly profound. And I I just, I can't believe it's been 46 years and I'm just like figuring it out. Well, it's because as women, like every, every message that we are given as soon as we start understanding we're being given messages, it's that we are lacking in some way. We're not tall enough. We're not skinny enough. We're not fat enough where it counts. Mm-hmm. We're not, there's always something lacking. And so we look at ourselves in the mirror and we just see what's lacking. And making that shift from seeing what you're lacking to seeing what you love is very small and it is hugely profound. And I'm really, really sad that you had to live for 46 years. I'm sad that any woman has to, any person has to live any time of their existence on this planet somehow thinking that they're lacking. Yeah. It's like, you're not, you're not, trust me, you're not. Like what, whatever you're working with, it's the perfect amount of stuff to work with. Like it's perfect for you. Yeah. Don't, you know, no one can, no one should ever be able to, to tell us you need to be more or less or anything. Like you're the perfect amount of you. And I, you know, I'm so excited for you that you're feeling this because I, I mean, I know you and I know how amazing you are. And I think you're incredibly beautiful. Like, let's be real. If you weren't married, I'd bang you like a screen door in a hurricane. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, that's always something to keep in mind. Yeah, but Um, I mean, thank you. Uh, (laughs) I'm flattered. Uh, But this is, uh, I have to say, it's one of the things about you that I've always thought, it, it's a similar kind of thing where I've always thought, you did a, you did a swimsuit. Uh, I did. I think it was 20, 2014 or yeah. 2015. I did um, 
uh, Amy Gentry, who is an amazing fiction writer, and she at the time she wrote for the Austin Chronicle. She really wanted to do a swimsuit edition for the for the Chronicle that showcased a wide variety of people. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to get in my swimsuit on the cover of anything, but mm-hmm. I did it, and it was uh, it was really scary, <laughs> but it was really fun, and I still fantastic. look back at those pictures very fondly. Yeah. And you know, I think I think a really big turning point for me was in 2018 this was kind of this was when I really started thinking I maybe I don't have to be what people feel like I should be in order to be fancy and feminine Mm -hmm. so in 2018 you know every year my ex-husband's company had like a company Christmas party and it was always fancy and bougie and I know because I planned it and I made it that way (laughs) and I would plan it around what I would kind of like want to (laughs) wear because I have I have no shame um and that year I was bound and determined that I was going to wear a suit for the Christmas party Ooh. and so I got a like black Janelle and white Monet style yeah like I had a I have and I still have I have a black and white leopard print suit nice. and I was like I'm gonna wear a fucking suit because this suit makes me feel like a baller and I remember like we're driving on the way to dinner and I had this like moment of pure panic of like what if everybody thinks I just look stupid hmm. what if I'm so used to everybody like I'm so used to wearing pretty lipstick and having my cute bob and wearing pretty dresses and little high heels and everyone telling me I'm pretty and I'm so cute and blah, blah, blah. And what if I show up in a suit and these sneaker wedges and people just look at me like I'm weird? Like there was this huge moment of panic of like, maybe I'm not, maybe I can't do this. Maybe people will think I'm ugly when I don't meet their expectations of pretty. And yeah, and I already live with enough, like I'm not pretty enough. But one, that didn't happen. And two, I will give my ex-husband credit, like, he just kept telling me all night, like, you look so good. You look so pretty. Like, you look fucking fierce. Like, he was really, because he knew it was, like, kind of stressing me. Yeah. But that was the first time that I ever really told myself, like, you don't have to buy into other people's idea of pretty. And being a, being a fat girl, you feel a lot of pressure to look pretty all the time. Because the worst thing that could happen is if somebody thinks that you're not pretty and then reminds you that you're fat. Like, <laughs> it's like, I love when people remind me that I'm fat. Like, I somehow don't live with me and I'm like yeah. oh my god why was the size four in the mirror this morning what happened Wait, um, what what is it what is it like I, I see on TikTok there's a lot of really good po- uh, body positivity stuff oh yeah but a lot of you know what those girls talk about and what you see in their comments it's like people just saying the, uh, like elementary school level commentary yeah. about that yeah. and you're just like what first of all you don't have to follow anyone on tiktok so what if you don't like it like i just don't understand. I'm, yeah i don't understand, I don't understand the understand. whole like that's so weird but i mean the amount of times that people feel the need to either comment on something on instagram or dm me to let me know that my boyfriend or my partner or my ex-husband was skinnier than me is is like beyond i cannot even understand i'm like we see each other naked you know that right so it's like there's no secrets here like we're quite well aware of what the other person's working with (laughs) it's pathological what is it about it's just it's people it's their own insecurity of like I it's them looking at a picture of a couple that has a size disparity and going oh wow like she looks bigger than him and then in their mind they're like oh my god do I look like that with my husband oh no does everyone see that I've gained this weight I mean well he didn't even have a baby like I went through so much and then they project that onto you yeah because what they're really saying is, it's not, for the most part, it's not malicious. It's, I don't want anybody to think these bad things about you. And I think, I thought these things, and I don't want them to think that about you, because it'll be so terrible. 
you know, like yeah. I, I rarely take things like that personally because I recognize it's coming from their own like fears and insecurities and stuff. And I get it like that hurts and it's scary. And so I don't usually, I don't lash out at people like that because I get where it's coming from because I've been there. Yeah. I've been there where I wanted to like tell my friends to change their outfits. I'm like, don't you know that like you can see like your cellulite? Oh my God. What if somebody says something about your cellulite? Like, I know you're beautiful, but what if somebody else is mean? And it's like, but I can't say that to them because then I have to remind myself, like, there's nothing wrong with anyone seeing cellulite because cellulite's the normal parts of our human body. Like it's right. fine. Right. And so, you know, I don't, I don't ever, I try really hard, which I've done a terrible job of in this uh, interview, but I try really hard to to maintain a lot of positivity because I know that the majority of us are carrying around a ton of baggage and trauma and pain, especially right now with what we've been through in the last year and four years. There's a lot of, a lot of pain and stuff. And as my therapist always reminds me, which by the way, shout out to my therapist. We've been together for almost 22 years Damn, and, and he is still alive and sane. It's amazing. But he always tells me whenever I say like, I did X, Y, Z, I'm such a bad person. He's like, no, he's like, you responded from a place of trauma and pain. He's like, it's just like when a dog has broken its leg and you're trying to help it and it keeps biting you. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to hurt you. He's just scared and he's in pain. He's like, that's what happens when we have pain and we have trauma that's unresolved and that's sitting there. We respond from that place and it's not always pretty. Yep. And I'm like, well, when am I going to not be pained and traumatized he's like never you're a fucking mess and I'm like yeah that's true I was <laughs> whenever he like tries to bring things up I'm like that's a load-bearing issue if you pull on that this whole house is coming down so let's not <clears throat> let's not disturb that one <laughs> we're just gonna leave that there as every therapist in Austin breathes a sigh of relief that I'm already taken <laughs> all right I am gonna it's already we, we've been on for a while oh my god we just have so many feelings the thing is I this conversation went by really fast like I could easily I could talk to you about like I love talking to you because I just love your mind and I love the way you express yourself it's just it's such a joy to be a part of a conversation with you yeah absolutely agree I it will I mean yeah I feel like you're just one of those people that I can easily get into a groove with conversationally and uh, I feel like we we have a lot of the same we may not have a lot of the same thoughts but I think we thought we think of the same things a lot Mm -hmm. and so I'm always interested in your perspective and every time I come away from a conversation with you I'm like ah like I feel like I've my perspective has been broadened and honestly that is the the thing that I look for in a conversation partner agree i Q, you're just, I'm just, I feel lucky that I get to be alive in the world at the same time as you are, because uh, you bring so much good, not, not just into my life. Cause like, I mean, that's really selfish, but yeah, like you're such a, you're a good friend to me and you stuff, but you bring so much good into the world and you put your thoughts and your way of looking thing at things out there and you give people another perspective. And I, I don't think you realize like how valuable that is. You're so good at sharing a different way of looking at things and it's just amazing you're just an amazing human well that's you're too kind and i'm i'm grateful for you i'm not too kind ask my mom she will tell you i'm <laughs> i can be very selfish at times <laughs> all right true. i will uh, i will let you go and you and i will do this again i promise oh hell yeah more coffee next time yeah. but yes we'll definitely do this again all right all, all right, right friend talk to you soon
and don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves.